Good everyone and welcome to my favorite time of the day, the Sports in the Basement NBA show for October 31st. I'm BVA. Today we're going to talk about the revolving door of the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to review tonight's action on the court and we're going to talk to my friend Mazin about his early season observations. So let's get started by focusing on our lead topic tonight, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Sunday, the Cavs lost at home to the Knicks by 19 points. It was their third straight loss and certainly an embarrassment for the team most expect to come out of the Eastern Conference. Longer lens reveals they've actually lost four of their last five. And the one win was over the lowly Chicago Bulls in a close game with one of the league's worst teams. They've so far played a schedule rated in the bottom third in toughness, and they're below 500. Their defense is one of the bottom five in the league. This is not good. This summer was a big one in Cleveland. They traded away Kyrie Irving for a collection of pieces, including Isaiah Thomas, who's injured, and a draft pick. So they haven't really been able to make that up. And in IT's absence, they fortified the point guard position with Derrick Rose, the off-injured spark plug scorer, most notably of the Bulls in the past, and Jose Calderon, an older floor general who can be wily but isn't going to lead your team anywhere. Elsewhere, they've added Jay Crowder, giving him some inside toughness, admittedly. Dwayne Wade, who's looking for a fountain of youth. Jeff Green, a miracle man who sort of plays the stretch three. You know, role players. This has been the makeup for the past couple years, though. LeBron, supported by Kyrie and Love up until the summer, and buoyed by a cast of those role players. Who could forget such hits as Deli and his wily scoring and maybe a little dirty play? Or Timofey Mozgov in the Twin Towers with Tristan Thompson? Or Richard Jefferson coming back from the dead? Or Darren Williams looking for a redemption tour? It's October. It's early. But... This is who this team is, and we've seen this before from this team, but this is who they are. Last year, during the season, they had the same problems, and they went out and picked up Corver, who's now one of their main shooting guards. Picked up Darren Williams, who was looking for a redemption, as we mentioned, and others. They've pushed aside the strategy of youth for the strategy of experience, mostly because they haven't had a whole lot of youth. This season's tough. The whole league is gunning for the Warriors, and it's really going after them has been the approach of the Cavs the last three seasons. They've benefited from a Draymond suspension to claim the franchise's first championship, but generally they've been dominated. So what leads us to believe this season would be any different? We all know LeBron is the key here, and his health, frankly, his determination will dictate who this team is and how far they can go. Early this season, they announced that LeBron would play point guard, uh, which is not that crazy for him. He, as he reminded us all, knows all five positions, can play all five positions. But him playing point guard in a vacuum might be okay, but in practice, it tires him out. It puts him into an over-usage position. LeBron's never wanted the ball on every possession, as, as Kobe might have or MJ might have. And now the weight appears like it might be too much on his back. Mostly because as he takes on that weight on offense, he also takes it on on defense in a way. And other players tend to sit back and wait for him to do things. The East is weak this season. We've said it over and over and over again. But you can't give up too many games to these Celtics or these Wizards or even one of the, any other surprise teams in the East. Can the Cavs right this ship? Of course. 
this could just as easily be the beginning of the end for one of the game's best players ever and the team he claims as his own. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with a rundown of tonight's games. Welcome back. Let's take a look at the action on the court tonight. We start with San Antonio at Boston. Game starts close. Celtics with some nice ball movement to find the open shooter. It's their trademark this season. Kyrie to Horford looking like a nice pairing so far this year. In the first, Jason Brown with a nice steal and full court dribble, Euro step and bucket to give the Celtics a four point lead early. Al Horford gives the Celtics a big man who can dribble as well as see the floor, something they haven't had a ton of. Nice play in the first from him, 360 dribble and drive to finish with the two-handed dunk. Starting the second quarter, Ruby Gay. Spurs, you know, they've picked up Gay and it's really been a win for them. He brings the ball up and hits the early shot clock three. Nice weapon for them, both in terms of set plays and in isolation. Game tied at 31 at that point. San Antonio got the lead up to four when Irving had a nice steal and lay-in to bring it back. Kyrie, nice night on both ends. Potentially the best offensive player since Bird. That's from uh, Uncle Pete. We'll let him argue that out in an upcoming episode. Also able to distribute, though. Nice dish to Daniel Theus with the slam late in the second quarter. Followed immediately by a nice interior pass to Jalen Brown for the slam, and then a nice turnaround and one. Celtics' run at the end of the half was all Kyrie, and they took a five-point lead into the half. Second half, the Spurs really spent some time trying to get back in the game after the Celtics made a run. Bryn Forbes found Brandon Paul in the corner for a three and one to cut it to nine. The next play, Rudy Gay from the same spot cuts it to six, but the Celtics were able to respond and close out the quarter, including a Marcus Smart three at the end of the third to stretch the lead to 13 as we go into the fourth quarter. Boston really controlled the fourth from there, including a nice Rosier step back three and an Al Horford put back to close things out. Kyrie Irving finished with 24.6 assists, Jalen Brown with 18, and Al Horford with 14 and 13 rebounds. For the Spurs, Aldridge had 11 and 5 rebounds, and Gasol had 11 and 8 rebounds. Boston wins 108-94, snapping an 11-game losing streak to San Antonio. Orlando at New Orleans. In the it's-too-early stat of the night, the Pelicans are over 500 for the first time in over three years, and that would only last so long. Davis came out of the gate on fire, though, shaking defenders to the ground and hitting the fadeaway jumper early in the first. Evan Fournier, who's been key to the Magic's early success, responded with a shooting touch of his own from deep. Into the second quarter, Aaron Gordon hits from deep. Really, Gordon seems ready for a breakout year if he can stay at it and can stay healthy this year. For the Pelicans, Jameer Nelson, a huge pickup from them, so it's going to play backup point for them. Nice night from him, setting up shots as well as hitting them. He's just been so great for this team who was desperately in need of another guard. Davis continuing to be dominant inside through the second, cleans up mixed, missed shots and owns the paint on both ends of the floor. Pelicans take a four-point lead into the half. Magic respond, though, in the second half, opening up with a 10-0 run, including a Vucevic turnaround that highlighted really some shoddy defensive effort from New Orleans. Pelicans don't give up, though, and Davis took more of a controlling interest in the offense. He distributed to Drew Holiday inside the lane after pulling the larger defenders out. Late in the third, Fournier lit up again from deep, but most Spates took over with threes from all around the arc. 
In the end, the game wasn't really that close, and the Orl Orlando's shooting proved to be too much for the Pelicans. Fournier with 20, Aaron Gordon with 17 and 7 rebounds, and Mo Spates, as I mentioned, 18 points, 5 rebounds. For the Pelicans, Anthony Davis finished with 39 and 10 rebounds, and Cousins had 12 and 12. Holiday with 11 points and 8 assists, but had 6 turnovers, and Orlando gets the win, 115 to 99, keeps them atop the Eastern Conference at 5 and 2. Charlotte at Memphis. Memphis with the lead's best record coming in, hosting the surprising Hornets. And uh, Gasol, dominant early on. Slick pick and roll. You know, two-man action has really been something the Grizzlies have exploited other teams on so far this season. And it works with Gasol, works with Brandon Wright. Really something that they've mastered and they know how to take advantage of some advantageous matchups. Midway through the second, Chandler Parsons hit a three over Kimba, giving the Grizzlies a 45-34 lead. Kimba would respond, though. Takes a steal from Gasol on the switch. Kimba streaks up the floor, got a contested layup to bring the Hornets back within one. Mike Conley came up big on the other end, though, driving to finish the second. Driving to the hoop, gets the foul, gives the Grizzlies a 57-51 lead at the break. Grizzlies came out hot to start the third. Gasol with the wide-open three. Stretch the lead to 11 after about four minutes, and Conley drives in with a nice floater the next time down to take it all the way up to 13. The Hornets fight back, though. Malik Monk with a nice three to bring it to seven. Kimball with the drive and and one gets it to four, then a jumper to get it to one after some back and forth. 3.41 left in the fourth, and the Hornets took the lead on a Kimba dish under the basket. A huge comeback for them. They were able to stretch it to six, leaving the Grizzlies with under 10 seconds, and a Dylan Brooks three cuts it to three. But on the ensuing inbound play, the Grizzlies somehow fail to foul Walker, and he finds Kid Gilchrist under the basket for an easy bucket to take it to five. Kid Gilchrist finishes with 10.6 rebounds, Walker with 27 and six assists, Jeremy Lamb with 17 and eight rebounds, and for the Grizzlies, Conley with 16, Gasol with 10 and seven, not nearly enough. Charlotte gets the win on the road, 104-99 after a huge comeback. Toronto at Portland in a battle of two of the league's best backcourts. And DeRozan starts out hot, getting the steal from an errant pass and taking it all the way for the layup and one early in the first. Later in the first, he had a tough floater in traffic followed by a post-up right side jumper over Damian Lillard. 15 in the first for DeRozan, who was hot all night. Portland retained the lead 26-25, though, going into the second, but the wheels came off fast. Portland went 1-for-17 in the second for six total points, both franchise records. The one bucket for Portland was the last of the quarter, leaving Toronto with a 54-35 lead into the break. Third was led by Kyle Lowry, scoring in the open court, giving the ball up around the basket for a dunk later in the third. At that point, Stars rested and the game was never really in doubt. DeRozan finished with 25, Lowry with 19, 10 rebounds and 6 assists. Lucas Neguera with 17 points, 9 rebounds. Uh, he's uh, been playing well as a sub for Valanchunas. Lillard with 36, McCollum with 16, but it was never close. Toronto get the win, 99-85 in Portland. And finally, Golden State at the Clippers. Warriors jump out in the first. Steph and Durant both hitting early, which is a bad sign for any team you're playing. They took a six-point lead into the second quarter. The Clippers, though, kept it somewhat close. Gallinari had a nice night, hitting from three in the second to keep it within five. Story for the Warriors, though, was their defense, especially their pressure on Blake. They knew that he was going to be the key man, and so they targeted him with all of their defense. Very smartly, 
doubling him from awkward angles to force him to get the ball out of his hands to either Lou Williams or Patrick Beverly, which was interesting and very detailed strategy, paid dividends for them throughout the game. Several times, Blake became a ball stop, forced bad passes, which led to Warriors fast break buckets. You're not going to win when you do that. Anytime you can stop that fast break from the Warriors, you have a chance, but if you're giving them up based on turnovers, you're doomed. 74-57 Warriors going into the half. The third belonged to Steph Curry, who Curry, who really seemed to find his stroke from distance and was able to really distance them as a team, not only from his shooting, but also finding open teammates. Into the fourth, 107-86 Warriors, and the route was on. Curry finishes with 31 points and 6 assists in 30 minutes. Durant with 19 and 7 rebounds. Draymond Green, 16 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists. Blake for the Clippers, 16 points, and Jordan with 10 and 11 rebounds. Warriors get the blowout victory, 141-113, to to slow the impressive start from the Clippers. Elsewhere tonight, Minnesota 125, Miami 122 in overtime. Teague with 14 points in the overtime period was the difference. Denver 110, New York 116. Porzingis, a career-high 38 points in New York's third straight win. Philadelphia 115, Houston 107. The Sixers shot 55% from the floor and had 27 assists in the surprise win in Houston. And Dallas 89, Utah 104. Gobert with a huge night, 17, 12 rebounds, and 6 blocks. Let's take another break, and we'll come back to talk to my friend Nancy. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Joining us now is my good friend Mazin. Mazin, how are we doing? Good, good, good. Next with another big win. Knicks with a big win, and yeah, let's start there. As a uh, native New Yorker and longtime Knicks fan, uh, your whole family, in fact, talk to me about these Knicks. They started off maybe one of the worst teams in the league, and now three straight wins, most recently over the Nuggets, who were a pretty good team. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and like the Knicks, let, let, me just, let me just make this like super clear. Like The Knicks are garbage, garbage team. <laughs> They're going to continue to be garbage. But three, like, really impressive wins right in a row. And coming from, like, a super, like, weird place. Like, coming from a point guard, Jared Jack, who, like, plays for every single team in the league and basically looks like the default player, like, when you start an NBA 2K player, like, like default mode one, like, before you put the hair on them. Right. Like, that's, what he, that's like, basically who, who he is. But, like, I don't know. He's, like, brought discipline to the team for these three games. Like, they're playing good defense. They beat the Cavs, who looked like trash, and then they. But then a more impressive win against the Nuggets tonight, which like just happened like yeah. 15 minutes ago or something like that. But yeah, huge. Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, he's like unbelievable. He's pretty great. I mean, the, Mike Breen tonight was talking about how it's quite possible that that Jack addition was so important, singularly, so that it's someone to efficiently get Porzingis the ball. You know, he sort of struggled through all these different guys who didn't necessarily know what they were doing. You know, the triangle offense that sort of confused the aspect. Now it just seems like give him the damn ball and get out of the way, which may be the way that he is best, you know, suited for the NBA. That's, I mean, like that's definitely true. The thing about KP is like, there's like a lot of like KP lights in the league. Like, Mm -hmm. like actually the Knicks played one in, in Jokic Mm -hmm. tonight. Um, And like, I call them KP lights because like they can shoot the ball from outside and, or they can be a big man inside, or they can dribble the ball, but they can't do, like, all those things like KP can do. The thing about KP is, like, 
when you're when you think of a guy, I mean, I can understand why Phil Jackson probably like was like salivating when he drafted him because like if you could think of somebody for the triangle offense who'd be the most perfect, KP's like the guy. He's like the most lethal pick and pop person you can possibly think of. And if you switch, he's just gonna wreck the guard. And if you don't switch, he's just gonna end up shooting over the guy who's supposed to be a center, but actually he's like four inches shorter than him. He's just like incredible he's a unicorn and i'm gonna argue he's a top five player in the nba right now yeah so let's let's talk for one second so (laughs) let's let's play rank the unicorns right so we'll start with uh dirk on his way out we'll throw in some anthony davis uh we'll get a little Embiid because he's got a little ball handling can take it to the hoop uh can shoot the long shot we'll get some uh Jokic, who you mentioned maybe that that small group of five there you if you're saying kp's top five in the league which we'll get to in a moment talk to me about those five how, how would you rank those five in terms yeah, of gonna include battle? boogie though i mean i know boogie's not a unicorn but he could do the same kind of stuff he can I, I, but like so can brooke lopez now i mean we can't include everybody that's in here true. Come on. i mean that's true it's like that's the thing it's like the big guys and i mean i know i'm saying what everybody already knows but the big guys in the nba are super impressive with their outside shooting i mean out of all the players you just said, KP's number one. That's, like, obvious, very straightforward. I mean, Anthony Davis is incredibly good, so he's a close number two. But KP is the best because he can do anything that anybody can do. Anything the small guys can do, he can do. He can shoot like Steph Curry, and he could dominate on the block. He's an incredible player. Um, I think the worst out of those guys is probably Dirk on his way out. Sorry, bro. But, like, I mean, like, respect to the legend. But, like, yeah. you know, like... I mean, but actually, uh, I think that a player who's still developing, who I'm a huge fan of, is Joel Embiid. Mm. I trust the process. He will be fantastic. I just don't think he's quite there yet. Makes a few, uh, you know, mistakes a game. He's just not quite ready to go. Yeah. So the big storyline in the summer in terms of the Knicks was Melo, obviously. And Melo now made his way. He's out in OKC. Let's talk about the Thunder for a moment, because what we've already started to see is that those three even as they start to gel, they're dominating the team. You know, they've got Adams, who's able to give them some support inside, but the three of them have become a a formative big three. Now, they're going to have to improve their defense, they're going to have to gel some more, but what are you seeing, just in terms of mellow, from Knicks mellow through hoodie mellow to now OKC mellow? (laughs) What's great is that Nike has the actual hoods on the, uh, on the, on on their gear now. Um, so he could be hoodie mellow on the bench, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the, I, I, I wish I could give you an answer right now. My first impression was that this should be like the perfect setup for mellow because like he should be able to just be like shooter mellow, like not have to worry about holding the ball in his hands too much just basically be like Olympics mellow, like essentially like get the ball like in one-on-one situations, but not have to like create ISO situations, just like in the fluid fluid play, be able to have one-on-one situations. Um, the thing is, is that he has also been really inefficient from the field to start off. So like, I don't know if I'm actually high on shooter mellow as a thing. Like, if he can actually improve his efficiency, then, and this also actually goes for Paul George, like, the OK3 are only going to be, like, sick, like, to their highest potential if those guys can improve their efficiency. The way that they're playing right now is, like, not good enough, but then again, they're still gelling, so I'm not, like, I'm not, like, selling stock on them right now, but I am interested to see what is going to happen. 
Yeah, they. Uh, I got a chance to see them on Saturday night. I mean, albeit against the Bulls, and they were just dominant. But if you look back at the last week, obviously, you know, not much data, but two losses to the Timberwolves. And in both of those, the Timberwolves were able to D up enough to just make them struggle a little bit. And it seems like that's going to be a key is if, you know, they're going to hit shots no matter what you do. But if you can make them work just a little bit, then they're going to hit just left, just less, and they're going to be a little bit more taxed in trying to play defense. And then you have an opportunity. Um, like you say, I mean, they need to gel and we'll see where they end up. But it seems like they're not quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, totally. I'm with you. And, like, I'm curious to see what what Russ will do um, moving forward. Like, he's kind of taking a back seat right now i think in terms of like shooting the ball he's you know shooting less um which makes sense he's got these two incredible players on his team uh but i, I kind of feel like i want to just see how russ will react if these games start to continue to go this way like if yeah. if they continue to see close games where they're, where they're losing and, and Melo's taking the last shot for example like like i wonder if russ starts to take more of a leading role on this team and then if he does like how how do pg-13 and and carmel anthony react to that yeah. i don't know but i watch them almost every time they're on on tv because yeah. it's like kind of like can't miss basketball I, I really like the three of them on the floor together yeah 100 percent um, if we go back to the Eastern Conference for a moment, you know, the Cavs obviously have been the dominant team for a couple of years now. LeBron, the dominant player. They're not having a great start to the season. Um, <laughs> that was really nice of you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I want to be uh, as tasteful as possible. What do, you, what do you attribute it to? Is it just gelling of all these sort of older guys or is it the wrong guys? Um, what's, what's your take on them? So it's like LeBron has like he's got like he's like he's like figured out like a scalable way to like get to the NBA finals, right? Like he's like sitting in the Eastern Conference, he's got a team that's built for the playoffs with a bunch of old guys that like don't compete in the regular season. And like you asked like is it the wrong guys? Like yes, yeah, the wrong guys for the regular season. Like Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose and LeBron James and Tristan Thompson. And it's just like like Kyle Korver, like maybe he can get open on threes. Like Kevin Love, who just got dominated in two straight games, by the way. Like, yeah. like that team like definitely isn't built, built for the regular season. But honestly, like watching how they've been playing and watching how they're reacting to their losses and how, what Tyron Lue said like about how like you know, it's about effort. It's about, like, caring. Like, they don't care. And actually, LeBron James said as much in as many words after the loss to the Knicks, getting blown out on their home court. Yeah. Pretty much, like, it's October, and it's, it doesn't matter. And, like, it honestly makes me kind of respect Kyrie's decision to leave this team because, like, we uh, we as fans and I guess as commentators, we love to hate on basically anybody who makes a, a, a big decision. Like we hated on KD when he went to the dubs because he was joining a super team. But then we hate on Kyrie because he like left a super team. So it's like right. it's like we, we can't seem to figure out which one we want players to do. But like Kyrie didn't want to be on a factory team to make the finals and be the second fiddle on a team that was like designed to make the finals and lose. Like, can you tell me, I'm going to ask you, like, can you tell me honestly, like, if the Cavs that we are seeing now, even if it was, like, in the postseason and they were giving extra effort, do you really think that roster is going to be able to play against the Warriors in a seven-game series? 
Yeah, I it's the big question, right? I don't think so, but I also, you know, have watched them compete with Timofey Mozgov and with, you know, uh, Darren Williams and you know, can they compete against the Warriors? I don't think so. But we saw them win the title 2 years ago because Steph was injured through most of the playoffs and, you know, Draymond Green decided he wanted to kick somebody in the nuts and, you know, <laughs> like things happen. So if you know, my thought with the Cavs all season has been they just need to get to the finals. If they can get to the finals, which really get to the playoffs because they should have a little bit easier road than in the West, they have a shot. You know, it's the old chip in a chair kind of thing from if you're playing poker, but like they have a shot. Now, would I favor them? Of course not, you know. Um, but it just looks sketchy. I mean, D Rose and Channing Fry and you know, these guys are just not I don't know. Like, they're not going to bring a title. And now without Kyrie, even if IT comes back, is he really going to play at the same level as Kyrie? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the huge question. Like, yeah. IT's coming in January. Like, and that should be when, I guess, like, when LeBron James will decide that that's, like, when he, when he will deign to actually appear on the basketball court is <laughs> right. around January. Right. So, like, that's when we'll understand if the Cavs are actually going to be a competitor. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, okay, it's October, fine. Like I understand that we aren't supposed to be putting too much stock in how they're playing, but it's hard to look at that team and the effort they're showing and like say like, wow, yeah, that's the team that's contending for the title this year. Yeah. So in terms of the East, it's been a little bit topsy turvy. There's not a huge difference between first and last right now. Who are you seeing that impresses you that you like, whether it be just like watching or who you you know you think is maybe surprising in terms of the results so far so like all the bad teams like every <laughs> one of the bad teams is like pretty impressive i'm not going to go into all of them but like the orlando magic are like good are they good uh, yeah it's it's <laughs> tough i mean they won again tonight they're first place in the east i mean like they're pretty good and like the the nets are yeah the nets aren't going to do much this year but like they, they're fun to watch yep the Knicks won three in a row somehow. Yep. Uh, that's probably the last three games they're going to win. It's <laughs> still <laughs> very impressive. But I think like the two teams that are impressing me the most in the East that were supposed to be bad are the Indiana Pacers, who uh, with Oladipo and Sabonis, like they're like determined to not be the guys in the Paul George trade. Like they want to, right. they want to be like real players. Yeah. And Oladipo is kind of playing lights out. Um, and they had a really impressive win against the Spurs yesterday mm-hmm. um but the detroit basketball detroit pistons i mean mm-hmm. like the thing about them is they're winning games and they are the top in the east right now mm-hmm. and obviously that's not going to stay the same for the whole season um but they're doing it in a super inefficient way which i actually think is super uh interesting like they uh they have a like their starting lineup their starting five is that is it a negative differential in points and like they're not gelling like the the, the players yeah. individually have like okay stats but then like the team stats like when you look at the starting five are like not very good and they're getting down in games but they're coming back like they like are showing grit and they're like coming back and winning games and so like it raises the question for me it's like does that mean that they're like actually bad and they're just getting lucky or does it mean like they actually can gel and maybe they can continue to win games a little bit more consistently. Like I kind of, I kind of feel like the second option is true. Like just based on like my own, yeah. like my own like feeling when I watch them play. But right. anyway, keep an eye on the trip business. Yeah, it's 
I always felt like they they could go either way. You know, it was they when they were committed, especially on the defensive end, Drummond in particular. You know, when he was into it, he could pretty much take just about anybody in the league. He has the talent, but he'll just tune out and not care what's going on, take possessions off. You know, he and Jackson have an opportunity to be a nice, you know, pick and roll duo as an example. But That's right. they just they like you as you say, you know, they don't they don't seem to want to gel. And now it's become this, you know, island of misfits that are sort of scoring and leading them to victories. I mean, I would agree with you that they're probably not going to stay in first place, but it's an interesting look, you know, and it's nice to see them, you know, be seven games in and have five wins. That's a big deal. Yeah. So it's one of those things like, are the wins going to translate to more wins? Right. Like what you just said about the team that gelling, it's like totally true. And if they were losing games, that would probably be the death knell and like nail in the coffin. Yep. Like Stan Van Gundy's not going to be able to run that team. Yeah. But if they're winning, like, does that just, like, translate to more Ws? Because, like, now they, they're just going to gel because they feel like they're winning? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like you got to get to watch them. Yeah. Mazin, thank you so much. It's great to have you. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, go Knicks. <laughs> With that, we want to thank you for joining us. And we look forward to being heard tomorrow. Subscribe on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and FeedBurner. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to be part of the show, you can email us at nba at sportsfromthebasement.com. Have a great day, everyone.